Welcome to the Capitol Beach. My name is Derek Brockbank and the Executive Director of American Shore and Beach Preservation Association, and I'm your host for this podcast. I'm very excited today to be in New York City and actually speaking with one of our nation's foremost experts on resilience. Uh, Janie Bavishi is the director of New York City Mayor's Office for Resilience. It was an office that was created post-Hurricane Sandy as the Office of Recovery and Resilience and is now just the Office of Resilience. She's oversees a, a program uh, and an office that manages billions of dollars in projects and really works across the entire, uh, entire scope of the New York City government to improve resilience. Uh, really excited to be doing this today. Again, usually you, you come to the Capitol Beach and hear issues from Washington, D.C., but New York City is really leading the way on some of these issues, and so what's going on here is being uh, seen across the country. Also, it, it is my hometown. I I'm, I'm grew up in New York City. I'm uh, excited to be doing this interview at an office building right across from City Hall, and I can actually see my high school from the window of the conference room. So really feels a bit like home to me. Um, and also really excited to be interviewing Janie, who is an old friend of mine. Uh, her college roommates are, are some of my closest friends. Um, so I've known Janie for a long time through personal circles, and certainly uh, we've crossed paths professionally too. So excited to be talking to Janie today. We're going to be going into a couple different issues, uh, get a little background on her, a little background on the New York City uh, Office of Coastal Resilience, and then we're going to dig into a little bit of, of equity and how equity and justice can play into resilience. And then finally, we're going to finish up with a, a little bit of a deeper dive into the recent announcement that the Trump administration is pulling funding from the pretty expansive New York City, New, New York, New Jersey Harbor and Tributaries Folks Area Feasibility Study. This is the major study that is looking at how you keep uh, New York and New Jersey protected from storms such as Hurricane Sandy and sea level rise, which is going to be inevitable with um, with climate change. So uh, really excited to talk to Janie. we got some really interesting issues to get to. Uh, so let's dive in. But first, we're going to have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering with 28 offices along the Gulf Coast. The folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numeric modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. And now they have a brand new coastal resiliency department headed up by our very own Peter Ravella. Check them out at lja.com. We are also brought to you by Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants prides itself on offering specific environmental and horticultural expertise with practical first-hand knowledge of all aspects of coastal revegetation projects. Their high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, along with their skilled and respectful crews, make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring coastal ecology of your barrier island community. Learn more at CoastalTransplants.com. And we are brought to you by the Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They can handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at the thedunesciencegroup.com. Janie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Um, so let's kick this off. Tell the audience a bit about yourself, how you got involved in resilience issues. 
Uh, sure, happy to. Uh, I got involved in resilience right after college. I actually uh, spent some time in Orissa, India, which is an area that was affected by a super cyclone in 1999. I got there a few years later and was working on a project to start daycare centers in communities below the poverty line. But every time I uh, spoke to community members, they uh, talked about just how difficult it was to recover from this disaster that had, hit, that had killed 10,000 people and washed away entire villages. And it made me realize just how um, vulnerable, uh, environmentally vulnerable, um, communities that are also so socioeconomically vulnerable are. And translating to your career in the U.S., you've you've worked in some of those most some of the most vulnerable areas too. You worked in New Orleans after Katrina. You've worked at a federal level working on these issues. Talk a bit about sort of your transition to getting to where you are today in New York City, Office of Coastal Resilience, Office uh, of Resilience. Sure. Um, yeah. So when Katrina uh, hit uh, the Louisiana coast, um, just made me realize that all the issues that um, I had seen play out um, in the international context were playing out in my own country. And I was just motivated to serve. So I went down there and um, ended up working with uh, community based leaders in a couple of different capacities, um, you know, really building kind of social infrastructure in order to support an equitable recovery. Um, and then since then, I've worked um, um, at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration during the Obama administration, um, and also um, worked at the White House Council on Environmental Quality uh, before I came here to New York City. Cool, uh, really cool career. Uh, we've our paths have crossed many times, both personally and professionally, as as we worked on Gulf Coast and and DC issues. Um, but let's talk about your role now. Uh, I'll give you sort of a high-level question. What is the mayor's vision for res a resilient New York City? That's a great question. Um, you know, the mayor, when he took office, um, it was just a couple years into the Sandy recovery. So he really believed in continuity and wanted to make sure that uh, New York City continued down the path that um, we had started um, in terms of leveraging recovery dollars to build a more resilient city. But he wanted to make sure we did it equitably. So the um, uh, the work um, continued, but he really brought, um, he really pushed us to, to bring a equity lens to the work so that we're serving the most vulnerable populations across the city um, and making sure those who are disproportionately disproportionately impacted are also receiving the environmental benefits of our work. So when you talk about the equity lens, that to me strikes as challenging because so much of resilience as, you know, it's being done nationally, you're looking at protecting the sort of biggest assets. But if you're looking at protecting the biggest assets, that often means you're protecting wealthy communities. So how do you, how do you actually plan for, how do you think about protecting communities that don't have lots of wealth? Um, and making sure that they are receiving the same kind of protection or resilience or projects as, as communities that do have that wealth, or, or potentially even more, more since they have less ability to, uh, to handle it themselves. Yeah, you know, we're implementing a multi-layer strategy. So um, we are focused on hardening critical services and infrastructure, like you say, protecting assets to make mm -hmm. sure that we're minimizing uh, disruptions to services after an extreme event. But we're also strengthening our shoreline, we're upgrading buildings, um, and we're making sure that we're making investments in neighborhoods to make them more financially resilient, for example, through flood insurance outreach, and to also just improve connectivity because we know that uh, the basic tenet of neighbors helping neighbors is a really important principle when it comes to resiliency. And those those um, uh, investments and those programs are really being targeted in the communities that are uh, not only environmentally vulnerable, but also socioeconomically vulnerable. So what do you mean by connectivity? What are the kind of programs that you guys can push that can help that social cohesion that is often connected with resilience? 
We've launched a program called Be a Buddy, where we're actually working with community-based organizations to identify some some of the residents in our city that are most vulnerable to heat impacts in particular. Um, extreme heat is uh, one of the deadliest extreme weather events that we that we face um, in, in the country and in the city. Um, and it also disproportionately impacts older adults, uh, those, are, those who are chronically ill or disabled, and um, those uh, uh, communities that are low income. So we want to um, uh, identify the most vulnerable residents pair them up with volunteers who can check in on them and activate those relationships not only during high heat times but also during other extreme weather events just so that um, you know we're building social cohesion in these communities so in some ways you're almost taking the the the, the extreme event and using that as the impetus to create social cohesion which hopefully is a you know successful uh, makes the community more successful even without an extreme event exactly cool that's very interesting. Um, so I wanted to talk a bit about some of the issues that uh, uh, I talk about on a daily basis in terms of natural infrastructure and how do we help make our coastlines more resilient. Um, could you talk a, a bit about sort of what New York City's plan is for natural infrastructure? I think people often think of you know New York City as this big urban jungle. Uh, but in my experience, it, there's a lot of really natural areas. You look at uh, uh, Jamaica Bay, Rockaway Beach, you know, some of the areas even in Manhattan that were used to be very industrial are now being turned into parks. Can you talk a bit about the natural infrastructure side of resilience? Sure. Um, New York City has 520 miles of coastline, and it, the coastline is really diverse. So there are definitely parts of the coast that are uh, extremely developed or former former industrial areas. But we also have um, wetlands um, right. around Jamaica Bay. Um, we actually uh, just uh, completed a project out in Jamaica Bay um, in, in in Broad Channel called, called Sunset Cove, which was a formerly industrial area. We cleaned it up um, and restored it so that it can be a buffer um, uh, for uh, the the community that lives there. Um, very cool. And I know you've you've worked with, or, or the mayor's office has worked with the Army Corps to restore uh, beaches along the Rockaways, building out, you know, which helps both protect the community as well as be a great place to recreate. Definitely. We've um, re-nourished uh, Rockaway Beach uh, just as recently as last year, um, but we're also uh, really excited to break ground on the Rockaway Reformulation Project, which is an Army Corps project to uh, build a reinforced dune on Rockaway Beach, um, replace and rebuild some of the, the rock jetties um, it going into the ocean to keep sand in place, and, um, and we'll also be putting more sand on the beach. So I have a question that drives this into equity. So in my sort of experience, when you typically invest in natural infrastructure, in restoring beaches, in restoring wetlands, you increase the appeal of that community, which often, therefore, increases the housing costs. You, know, you create you create a park space, you create open space, you create wider beaches, the value of the surrounding area goes up, that can lead towards gentrification. So how do you, in, in your thoughts or experience, how do you support natural infrastructure and the beautification of our, our coastlines and our resilient areas without leading to issues of gentrification and, and pushing out some of the poorer communities that may have lived there through times when it was less resilient. Yeah, it's a great question, and I think this really points to how multidimensional it is um, to resilience actually is, right? Mm -hmm. um, we have to work very closely with our colleagues um, at uh, the Department of Housing Preservation and Development mm -hmm. um, to make sure that we're kind of monitoring um, how uh, resilience investments are playing out in neighborhoods. Um, and, and for example, in the Rockaways, we're actually doing a lot of affordable housing development, but building that affordable housing in a resilient way. So resilient design mm -hmm. is really important. but 
there's a real complex interaction of different policies that go on here. And um, I don't think we can point to any one project or any one investment as um, leading to or triggering gentrification. Um, We've got to kind of look at the whole policy landscape and make sure that we're working with our partners and other agencies to um, uh, uh, make these neighborhoods more resilient for the people who live there now. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It's, you know, resilience can't be done in a bubble. You can't say, well, we're going to restore this coast or make this coast more resilient without thinking about all the other implications of that. Housing, transit, roads, all those things all have to play together. Exactly. So um, to that point, back to the back to sort of your role as Office of Resilience here in New York, how much are you sort of an independent office versus how much, like, how do you guys work with all the various citywide agencies? Yeah, you know, we're the uh, thought leaders, the the um, the real kind of policy leaders when it comes to resilience. But we recognize that resilience is incredibly interdisciplinary. It's also very interjurisdictional, and so we work with just about every city agency. But we also work with a lot of regional partners. For example, the MTA or the Port Authority. Um, we're also working with uh, many federal partners, um, the Army Corps of Engineers, who we already talked about, but HUD and FEMA as mm-hmm. well. Um, so I think you know, it's it's. Uh, really important that we position ourselves to kind of be multi-stakeholder conveners um, so that we can bring people together to help implement and advance these conversations. That's all great. And one of the reasons I was so excited to, to talk to you today um, is because, you know, I, I certainly think of New York City as a leader in resilience. I mean, it's it, you're just, a, you're, quote, just a city agency, but because of the size and scope of New York City, as well as I would, I would say the uh, impetus put on resilience and response um, from the mayor's office or from the, from the mayor himself even, uh, you know, I think you guys are really sort of leading this. And so I was wondering if you could give the, our, our listeners sort of a sense of just how, how big a scope and size this is. I mean, how big is your office? Do you guys have a, a, a budget? What's like, how many people are working on resilience for the city? Uh, so my office is about uh, 30 people, um, which is big for a mayor's office. Um, but, you know, like I said, we're working with every city agency. So that doesn't really uh, represent, the, the, you know, 30 staff is not how many staff the city has working on resilience. It's actually a much bigger, um, bigger number than that. And we're overseeing a $20 billion portfolio of projects citywide. That's incredible. I mean, $20 billion has a real chance to reshape and reformat the city. Um, But speaking to that, you mentioned your interaction with other federal agencies, with regional consortiums, MTA being the Metro Transit Authority that deals with um, uh, subways and buses across the tri-state area, Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Um, How are you leveraging the work you're doing or how are you how are you using the work that's going on here to uh, really be a demonstration project is that is that at all in your guys thoughts or are you just like we just need to make new york city resilient and if other guys other cities want to copy us that's great i mean are you trying to spread the gospel of resilience uh, we talk to other cities all the time, and we're involved in several networks of cities um, that uh, are both national and international. Um, we, you know, do webinars, we do exchanges, so we're we're um, very happy to talk with other cities about what we're learning here, and we're also very happy to learn from other cities uh, about what they're experiencing in their own context because um, there's no time to reinvent the wheel here. You know, we uh, want to proceed with the utmost urgency, and so um, we want to uh, leverage any lessons that um, other 
cities have have uh, learned from it for themselves. Okay, I'll put you on the spot. Who's uh, what other cities are are doing a good job? What other cities do you kind of look at to to maybe get some new ideas now and then? Yeah, there are a lot of cities doing um, really interesting work on really different fronts. So, um, it, you know, I think we've been in a deep exchange with Copenhagen on stormwater. Um, you know, they, they want to learn from us on coastal resiliency, but they've been, um, they, they were hit by a, a major precipitation event, a one in a thousand year precipitation event um, several years ago. So we've been really learning from them on, on their efforts to address uh, precipitation risk. Um, we've recently been in a really interesting exchange with Boston uh, because they didn't have a Sandy-like disaster to uh, spark their planning. They've taken a much uh, more measured approach to planning. We want to learn from that as we kind of refresh our own strategy, um, but they want to learn from our lessons and implementation. Um, we are in uh, a lot of conversation with New Orleans just because um, New Orleans is also kind of advanced in implementation given that they've had recent disasters that have uh, uh, channeled federal resources their way. Okay. So we're talking, you, you brought up recent disasters. Um, this is probably the, the hottest topic that I think we're going to address uh, is the New York, New Jersey Harbor and Tributaries Focus Area Feasibility Study. The, the Army Corps, after Sandy had, I'm going to oversimplify this, but basically authorized a study that would say, okay, how do we protect New York and New Jersey from coastal storms and inundation? Um, this had been moving along. Uh, the Corps, you guys, I'm sure there were probably many other partners on this. Um, there was an interim report that came out just about almost exactly a year ago, I think. Um, and then we recently heard probably a month ago that uh, the Corps said, we're not gonna, we don't have the budget to do this and pulled out. Um, the city comptroller, uh, Scott Stringer, uh, Senator Chuck Schumer have been pretty outspoken about this, blasting the Trump administration saying it's short-sighted, et cetera. I, what's, I guess, what's what's the city's official position on it and where do you go from here? How do you actually, does the study get revived? Do you start doing your own one? How do you plan for the big unknown of, of climate change and sea level rise? Yeah, let me so let me just go back and um, say that you know the president himself tweeted about this back in January. He um, uh, you know you're cool when the president starts tweeting about you. <laughs> well, um, but it was offensive, right? I mean, he basically <laughs> said that we had to get our mops and buckets ready, and that's that's a direct quote. So um, you know we we were not expecting this. Um, uh, it's it's a pretty reckless move on the Trump administration's part, um, and uh, we now have to. Uh, figure out how to go forward, right? So the states of New York and New Jersey um, were also uh, at the table um, uh, for the study, um, along with the city. Uh, we're, we're trying to get the best information from the core now as to um, what money they have left and um, uh, w what what where they, can, uh, where they can go with the study. Um, uh, and we're also going to be calling on our congressional delegations um, to help us uh, get the study reinstated, because um, there is work here that uh, uh, we need to see done. Yeah, I mean, to me, the challenging thing here, right, is you can totally see this, the, the core or the administration saying we don't have the money to implement some of these projects. Right? I, I got, I haven't read the interim report fully, but you got to imagine that this is going to be calling for what hundred billion dollars worth of projects or more. I mean, you're talking a major issue. Like, but the study itself was ten million. How much was? Do you have any sense of how much the, the study itself? The court spent nineteen million dollars on the on the study. So you're looking at nineteen million dollars for a study to figure out how you're going to spend $100 billion. And, you know, we're sort of guessing on these numbers. But 
it, I, yes, I agree. It seems it seems kind of uh, penny penny foolish. What is what's the expression? Pound foolish, penny wise, or something like that. Uh, you're you're not spending the money to figure out what you need to do. Um, so, where do you go from here? I mean, is is the sense that you need to continue with this study no matter what? Can the state pick up another version of the study? How far along was the study? Like, how do you need? Like, you don't need to go back to the drawing board here, do you? Well, first of all, let me just say that our approach, the city's approach to uh, implementing its resilience portfolio has been to not wait for Washington, right? So the work that Mm -hmm. we're doing across our $20 billion portfolio will absolutely continue. Um, Some of the solutions that were being looked at through the study are uh, regional solutions, things like a storm surge barrier from uh, Breezy Point in the Rockaways all the way to Sandy Hook, New Jersey. It's a five-mile barrier that would be at the mouth of New York Harbor. Um, You know, ground-truthing whether or not something like that is feasible, what environmental impacts it might have if it were to move forward. Um, Those are questions that we still have, and um, we would need the Army Corps to answer, uh, because the city would not be able to construct a project like that on its own, obviously. Um, And and either with the states, um, that that would be a federal responsibility. Okay. Whenever we talk about these sort of major climate change issues, adaptation issues, it always feels a bit daunting, but you know, I know no one has a crystal ball, but give me your sort of 50 years from now, we're seeing some sea level rise, projections say what, maybe a foot of sea level rise, increasing storm intensity. Where would you like to see New York City be in terms of some of these major climate adaptation, uh, either infrastructure, natural infrastructure, resilience measures? Where, do you, where would you like to see the city in 50 years? You know, we're in the process of transforming our waterfront. Um, We are building coastal protections uh, into all the other uses we rely on the waterfront for, whether it's recreation, whether it's uh, transportation, whether it's just access and views. Um, And we're breaking ground on a number of projects this year. I mentioned the Rockaway Reformulation Project. We're also breaking ground on uh, a levee in Staten Island, also with the Army Corps of Engineers. Um, And then the city is breaking ground on the Eastside Coastal Resiliency Project here in Manhattan, where we're uh, raising a park. improving waterfront access and uh, protecting 110,000 residents from um, a future storm. Um, We'll see more of these projects uh, uh, move into construction um, next year as well. And so, you know, I think um, uh, this is a great opportunity. Um, While the challenge is certainly daunting, it also presents an opportunity to kind of rethink our waterfront and think about how we transform the waterfront um, to uh, uh, now live with this new challenge that we have um, presented by sea level rise. That was a very uplifting way of, of presenting it. I like that. Um, I know you have to run. I uh, appreciate the time you've taken. I, I do ask all my guests a final question because all of us are doing really challenging work that can get, you know, as uplifting as that was, it gets it gets tough. The going gets tough. Um, so where is your favorite beach or coastal area? Where do you actually go to get re-inspired to keep doing the work you're doing? Uh, you know, my favorite beach is actually um, in Hawaii, um, uh, Waimanalo Beach in Hawaii. I lived there for a little while, too, and uh, I'd love to spend some time there. Which island is that? Oahu. Okay, cool. So uh, go to Hawaii to get inspired. That's a sort of an easy, easy one to do. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Janie. Uh, appreciate you uh, joining us, and great to reconnect. Great. Thanks, Derek. Bye.